Well, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> My name is Pastor Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life. And um, today we, uh, we're kind of following up from our Easter message, which uh, ended off in, um, in John chapter 20, verse 18. And we're going to pick up here uh, shortly in that very next verse. And um, today we're going to talk about something that most Christians don't like to talk about much. And uh, no, it's not money. You're welcome. And it's not, it's not sex either. You're welcome. Um, we're going to talk about doubt. Doubts. Um, doubts are things that uh, many times we're scared to admit that, uh, that maybe we have doubts at times. You know, like we're, we're scared to admit that, that, that God uh, maybe isn't who he says that he is or that he'll do what he'll says, he says that he'll do. Um, because even as a church, as Christians living in kind of this Christian church culture that we're, that we're a part of right now, um, maybe we haven't been taught this like outrightly, but there's this idea that, that doubting is a sin. And so we certainly don't want to admit that we have some to, uh, to people around us because then we'll, we're, we're fear of judgment and, well, I, whatever comes with that. And then on the other side of this spectrum, we certainly, you know, have this fear of admitting doubt to our non-Christian friends because we know that they obviously already have doubts. And so we got to keep up a good front of faith. And so, you know, because we want them to, you know, to come to, to know Jesus. And so we don't want to necessarily talk about our own doubts in there. But most of all, I think sometimes we have this fear of like admitting our doubts to ourselves because doubt can feel like kryptonite to faith. You know, it feels like uh, I don't quite know what to do. Can I still uh, have faith and yet have doubts in the midst of it? Um, and so the question that I want to talk about today, and we're going to, as we delve into this scripture, is how do we have faith in the midst of doubt? Is it even possible? Is it possible to have unanswered questions uh, from God and yet still have faith in God? Is it, is it possible to, to, to live within this, this tension, this struggle of like, I don't necessarily understand everything and God didn't show up the way that I hoped that he would and the way that I think that he should have and yet still have faith in him. And so I'd love if you turn with me to John chapter 20. Um, we're going to be picking up right where we left off Easter Sunday. Let me just, before we get into this scripture in verse 19, let me just recap for a second because this Easter story, we talked about it last week, is wrought with doubt. Even though Jesus prophesies and, and numerous times to his disciples, hey guys, listen, I, I, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to rise from the dead three days later. Like, they still were not expecting the resurrection. Even though Jesus told them, I want you to understand this, you can read it for yourself. Nobody on Easter Sunday morning, nobody was sitting there outside of the tomb doing the countdown. Okay? They're not gathered together being like, 10, 9, 8, 7, you're going too fast, 7. You know, like not, nobody, nobody's doing a countdown waiting like for Jesus to do that which he said he was going to do. In fact, Mary Magdalene and, and, and some of her girls, they're going that, that first day of the week and they're literally going not to find the possible risen Christ. They're going carrying all kinds of ointments and such to embalm the dead body of Jesus. That's the level of faith that they had. They're, they're going in. They go in. They see the empty tomb. They're not thinking, oh my gosh, he did what he said he was going to do. They think, somebody stole the body. Oh my gosh, somebody stole the body. Grave robbers. 
right? So they go and they run and they tell the disciples and they're like, I don't know, I don't know where Jesus' body is, the, the, the tomb is empty. And the disciples respond by saying, well, I think this is that the ladies, maybe you got lost. Maybe, did you take a ride at Hezekiah's and then go over, did you go to the wrong tomb? Like, they think that it's an idle tale. They, they consider it nonsense, is what the Bible says. Except for two of them. We got Peter and John. They, they get up. They're like, I'm not listening to these ladies. I'm not taking what, what, just what they say. I'm going to go find out for myself. They start running. John beats Peter. We need to know that. He beats Peter to the tomb in the tomb race. He wins every single time. Um, they get to the tomb, and they're not looking for Jesus' risen, resurrected body. They're, they're looking at what happened here. Like, where, where's the body? The reality is, is that nobody expected no body, Right? That Mary Magdalene hangs around after Peter and John are like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to get some breakfast. They leave. Mary Magdalene hangs out and she's weeping at the tomb. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. The risen Christ shows up. He talks to her. She sees him. Absolutely amazing. She runs back to the disciples and she tells them, I have seen the Lord. And then she tells them all the things that Jesus had said. We're going to pick it right up in verse 19. Why don't you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, this is that, that, that same evening after Mary Magdalene comes and says, I've seen the Lord, that when the disciples were, were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Verse 21. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which is a weird word, but it means twin, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though he said to Thomas, or excuse me, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. Apparently, they needed some peace. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and, and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you continually show up time and time again in our lives. God, I thank you that you meet us right where we need you. God, I thank you that you, you walk through closed doors in our life. Lord, I thank you. And, and as, we, as we dig down into this scripture, God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us of what it looks like to have faith in you, even when we have doubts in the midst of it. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So, 
So John tells Thomas's story, this, this, this kind of famous story that, that I think Thomas gets a bad rap for. Like we literally call him Doubting Thomas, like his first name is Doubting, right? Like Doubting Thomas is his name. He tells Thomas's story right before he gives us his thesis statement for writing his gospel. It's the very next verse. This is what John writes right after he tells the story of Thomas. He says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these, in other words, these stories are written that you, the reader, may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's what John says to kind of sum up this, uh, this as he's been telling this story. In other words, one of the reasons that John wrote his gospel is that he wants to give you stories of people who couldn't believe, that learned to believe, so that you will learn to believe, even in your unbelief. It's a lot of believe and belief, right? In other words, just because you may battle with doubt, doesn't mean you don't believe. Sometimes we think, well, well, either I have to like have a blind eye to, and, and faith and I, I, I'm going to dismiss reality and I'm only going to have faith or I'm going to not believe. I don't know how to have tension where, where I have questions that are left unanswered and yet still trust God. So in reality, in reality, we, we, we all have doubts that we can't really avoid at times. There are times and seasons in our life where there are questions that are left unanswered, things that we think God should or could have done that he didn't do that we don't understand. And one of the reasons that we have scripture, this is why John wrote, is to help us to learn how we can have faith even in the midst of doubts, how we can, we can still trust him even in the midst of having questions that we, that we don't necessarily know the answer to. And if you read carefully, I love this scripture. After the death of Jesus, all the disciples were, were gathered together, except for Thomas. I know. All of them were, were, were together. It's what the Bible says. We don't know what was going on with Thomas. We don't know if Thomas was missing in action for the, like three days. If he was just distraught and he was one of those, I need some me time and just kind of got away, did his own thing. I have no idea. Maybe Thomas was going out getting takeout. We have no idea. Maybe he was getting takeout for the group. We have no idea. But he, he misses this worship service that happens with all of his disciples. And either way, Jesus literally, physically shows up to the group of disciples. And he talks with them and he, he shows them the nail marks in his hands and the, it's the spear mark in his side. And they're like freaking out, as you would be if the risen Christ showed up to the group of people. I mean, literally, they're just, they're, they're, they're freaking out. And we see this in verse 24. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, twin, one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, he gets back. They said, we have seen the Lord. Now, this is a good reminder right here to not miss church. Okay? I'm just saying. Just saying. This is like an unabashed plug. You, 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 
Like, have you ever been there? Where like, you know, you're a pretty consistent churchgoer. Yeah, you, know, you go, and then you miss one week because you were sick or you were on vacation, and everybody's like, you missed the most amazing church service ever. And you're like, come on, it couldn't have been that good. The preacher's not that great. And you're like, no, you don't understand. Jesus showed up in our worship service. And you're like, come on. No, for real, like you missed the best worship service ever. And Thomas is not happy about this. We can see it. This is what he says. His response is not like, oh, shucks. No, his response is this. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, I'm, I'm not good with like blood and gore and guts, okay? So, but... He, unless I put my finger in the hole and I, I put my hand in, the, in his side, I always think to myself, whenever I read this story, I'm like, dude, that is a little morbid. Like, I'll be honest, that is the last thing I would want to do if I saw the risen Jesus. I would not be like, well, let me, let me try that. I would like, no, I, like, no, I don't, I don't want to get anything near this. Why would Thomas even come up with this? Like, unless I put my hand in and finger through, this is the only way I'm going to believe it. Like, I, I'd be okay just seeing it from afar. Like, I'll be honest with you. And Thomas says, no, I got to see this. Why would he even come up with, the, even say something like this? That's because the disciples, the other ones, had some show and tell when Jesus showed up. They were able to seize the hand and, and the wound in his side and all of that. I, I honestly think that Thomas is just being honest. He's just, he's just being real. Essentially, he's just telling them, look, guys, I realize you guys had this experience, but if I'm going to give my life for this, if this is going to, if I'm going to give my whole life to this mission, I just need you to understand, like, I need to see and touch it for myself. In other words, like, that's great. You guys got a great story. Obviously, I missed the best church service ever. But, like, I need to have of this for myself. It's great that you have it. But I need it for myself. And I would argue, if you've taken notes this morning, your first fill in the blank is this, that, that great faith often begins with honest doubts. Not just putting your head in the sand and like saying, oh, I just believe and blindly and all this type of stuff. It, it, I think great faith begins with just being truly honest with where you are with, with the Lord. And it boils down to this question. Is what Thomas is asking for, is it too much to ask for? Is it? Is what Thomas says, this is what I need, is it too much for him to ask for? Because don't you, personally, 2,000 years later, don't you need some sort of like, I don't know, a personal experience before you just give your whole life to something? I mean, sure, you could, you could give like mental assent to the existence of Jesus. You could be like, well, I actually do. I've studied enough and I believe that, you know, he is, was a real person and lived in, you know, you know. But come on. I will tell you this. Nobody dies a martyr's death unless they're sure. Unless they know that they know that they know that they know. I think Thomas is saying to these guys, guys, you have no idea how much this means to me. Yeah, I, I have to see this for myself. I desperately want to have a personal encounter with God just like you did. 
And as I look at our culture today, Christian, non-Christian, 21st century culture, isn't that what people are looking for? They're, they're looking for this experience with God, whether that is some other, you know, religion or whatever, they're looking for something that they can sink their teeth into. In other words, they're saying to, to a Christian culture, saying, I, I, I realize that you have had an experience with God, and that's good for you. You hear that all the time. That's good for you, but I've never experienced that. I would need that in order to believe. And I look at our Christian culture today, and so many times I'm like, what are we doing? Because we think like, well, I, I think the answer to somebody coming to faith is to just have a good rational argument. I could argue them into the kingdom, into loving Jesus. Or maybe I could just impose my Judeo-Christian ethics on them and then they would come to Jesus if I just, maybe if I made them feel bad about their sin that they could care less about. Then then they would come to Jesus. But what I found is that people come to Jesus because of his loving kindness that leads them to repentance. They have an experience with God. That is what causes people to come to know the living, risen Christ. And I hope and I pray that each of you, that you've come to know this love of God that loved you before you could ever love him. Let me tell you something. If I'm going to be really honest with you, if, if I had not encountered God personally, I don't know if I'd believe. I, your pastor kind of like, Seriously? Let me tell you something. Because I have encountered Jesus personally, I would literally be insane if I denied him. Because I've seen God do so many things in my life, I've seen him literally heal cancer and grow legs and open deaf ears. I've seen him do things in front of my face. I've seen him work miracles in front of me that I would literally be insane if I were to deny him. I think that Thomas gets a bad rap, doubting Thomas. I think a better name for him is just Honest Thomas. Just being honest. Just Honest Thomas. I, I, I personally admire Thomas for his forthrightness. Why? Because he wanted his faith to be his own. He was unwilling to just listen to his buddies and what they were like, oh my gosh, and we saw Jesus, and then he said this, and then he said this, and we poked my hand in, and it was all like. He was unwilling to take what his friends told him about Jesus. He was unwilling to inherit his faith from what his mama told him. He said, no, 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 no. I want to see this for myself. I want to know it just like you know it. I want to, I want to see this in my own life. And unless I see that, I don't know if I can believe I don't know if I can. Why? Because if it was true, then Thomas was willing, was willing to surrender his entire life to it. Because, because faith that is your own is faith that you own. Because if you're unwilling to really have your own faith, I guarantee you when it's put to the test, you won't own it. Because faith that is tested cannot be shaken. This is what Thomas was asking for. Continues in verse 26. It says, I, I love it because he finally gets, gets his experience. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was there. He did not miss church next week. 
It's as though the doors were locked. I want to just pause there for a second. I find it interesting that John tells us, both in verse 19 and here in verse 26, that the doors were locked. They were scared. They were scared of what, uh, of what was going to happen. He tells us both times that, that Jesus shows up in locked doors. And I want you to think about this. Isn't that what fear does to us? Fear is the key that locks us up from the inside. It keeps us locked up. We think that it's actually giving us like some safety, but it actually keeps things at bay. It holds back things. The walls and the locked doors keep us from, from moving forward. And I want to encourage you this morning this. Jesus loves coming through locked doors in your life. So if you came here today and you're like, I don't know, man, I, just, I don't know how I feel about this whole Jesus thing. And you got some locked doors, you got some areas of your life that you just rather Jesus not know about. Or you just think, you know, I, I just, I'm going to build up some walls here. I just want you to know that Jesus loves coming through locked doors in your life. I'm pretty locked up. Great. Because that's what he loves to do. I love the lyrics of this song that we sing, Reckless Love. I won't sing it for you. You're welcome. I'll just read it to you. He says this. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, you're coming after me. Let me tell you, there is no locked door that will keep Jesus out to those who are seeking after him. He just shows up. He continues in verse 26. He says, Jesus came and stood among them. And he says those words again, peace, peace be with you. And then he says to Thomas, he turns right to Thomas, he addresses everybody, peace be with you, looks to Thomas and he says this, put your finger here, see my hands? Reach out your hand and, and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. I love that Jesus already knew Thomas's doubts. I love that Jesus was obviously privy to a conversation that Jesus actually wasn't there for, and he knew what Thomas needed to believe. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always wondered this. I know you're probably more holy than me, but I've always thought this. Like, the, when Jesus, if he, if he has the power to rise from the dead, why in the world was there not some, like, heavenly cosmetic surgery that happened with this? Like, I mean, for real, I, I, I think about this stuff. Like, if he literally had the power to rise from the dead, why did he not take care of those holes and, 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 the, and the, the wound in his side and all this kind of stuff? Like, I, I, I personally, like, I, I was rising from the dead. I'd be looking like a model. Like, I'd be coming up like, oh. People would be like, whoa, look at Jesus now. Like, he's, this is his resurrected body. It looks better than the old one. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I don't understand this, and I was, I was praying about it. You're like, you're praying about that? I was literally praying about that this week. Like, Lord, show me something about this. And this is what I realized. There's a difference between a wound and a scar. You're like, what? Okay. A wound is painful. It hurts, doesn't it? A scar is a wound that has been healed. They're two very different things. And I want you to understand this. Jesus was not showing Thomas his wounds. He was showing him his scars. Now, how do I know this? Because you never offer people to poke your wounds. Do you? 
No. Your wounds you hide, you bandage, you disguise, you favor. But when Jesus shows him his scars, this is very different. Our scars are what tell people it's okay. There's life beyond your pain. It's scars that tell people it's okay. There's life beyond your struggle. There's life, for someone in here, there is life beyond your abuse. There's life beyond your shame. Jesus was showing Thomas and he's showing his disciples his scars. Why? Because Satan tried to take him down, but he couldn't keep him there. Satan tried to put him in the grave, but the grave couldn't hold him. What held him doesn't hold him anymore. That's the beauty of why, why Jesus was showing Thomas his scars. He didn't show up in his resurrected body like I would and be like, what cross? What? What whip? What, what, what crown of thorns? I see nothing. You know what I mean? Like He didn't walk in like that. He walks in and he says, look, touch my hands. Put your, put your hand in, in, into my scar here. It's me. You can trust me. In other words, what held me doesn't, hurt, doesn't hold me anymore. What hurt me doesn't hurt me anymore. I want you to understand there's a difference between a wound and a scar. And Jesus goes right up to Thomas and he, and he tells him, he doesn't say anything other than like, here, go ahead. I know what you need to do. Go ahead and touch. Go ahead. Can I just tell you that sometimes the power of an example is better than the power of an explanation. And that's what Jesus offers to Thomas. He comes in with a, here, here's a revelation of who I am, not an explanation of who I am. If I could say anything to some of you today is this, stop hiding your scars. Well, you know, I'm just kind of ashamed of it. You know, that's my past. Those are things that, that you know, like, that, that, those are things that, that, I, that I overcame. Exactly. Scars are proof that what hurts you didn't kill you. Scars are proof that God can heal you. And sometimes when we hide our scars and we don't want to show anybody our scars, it's proof that Satan tried to take you down, but he couldn't hold you down. It's proof that, that what tried to hold you back or you tried to keep you hooked on that substance, but only God can deliver you. That's the difference between a wound and a scar. Wounds still hurt. Scars prove that what tried to hold you doesn't hold you anymore. So don't hide your scars. Your scar may be like a stimulant to somebody else's faith. Do you realize that? Your past, the things that God has freed you from, may actually accelerate somebody's expectation in their life. Like, oh my goodness, there is life on the other side of this addiction. Your victory that God has freed you from may actually prove hopeful to somebody else to say, there's actually something on the other side of this thing that seems insurmountable and this locked door that I have. There's life on the other side of this? Don't hide your scars. Sometimes the power of an example is better than the power of an explanation. Let me, let me explain this to you. Let me show you what I mean. Uh, how many of you have people in your life that you, don't, that you don't trust? If they're sitting next to you, just use your other hand so they don't see. You got, you got, everybody has somebody in their life, whether in their past, present, or future, that you, that you don't trust. You know they're a no-good liar, and, uh, and you don't trust them further than you can throw them, right? You all got somebody in your head, right? Okay. Now, this person, you're like, yep, amen. I, it, it, think about this. If this person came to you 
and, and they came to you with a really good explanation of how they, you just didn't understand, and they were actually telling the truth, but you just didn't have all the information. And so if you'd only just listen to, to this side of the story, then you would now understand what it was that was actually going on, and you were, had some misinformation and some false news and all these stuff. How many of you would suspend your doubt and believe them? None. Why? Because you know they're no good liar. Because you know you can't trust a word that comes out of their mouth. Why? Because what I know to be true, when it comes to relationship, what we think is a, is a head problem is actually a heart problem. And it really has nothing to do with this great explanation of like, well, this is, you just didn't understand, this is how it all works. No, because we can't accept what we've already rejected with our hearts. Our mind won't accept it. So we have this great explanation thinking, oh, this is going to solve all of our problems and we don't need a, an explanation. We need a revelation of trustworthiness. In relationships, don't tell me that you're not a liar. Stop lying. I'll believe it when I see it. That's what Thomas is saying. I love Thomas because he's just honest. He's like, that's great. You guys have all this stuff to say. I'm just telling you, I need to see it to believe it. I'm going to have to see how this thing works out. And this is what Thomas doesn't get an explanation from Jesus. Jesus just comes up with a revelation, a revealed, risen, resurrected body. And he says, I'm not going to give you any explanation. Just go ahead, touch. Go ahead. Put it in. Go ahead. He reveals who he is. And I love, I love, I love, I love. We don't even see this, that, that, that Thomas actually puts his finger in or, or, or puts his hand in there. We kind of, you know, extrapolate that. But verse 28, the very next thing, after Jesus says, go ahead, touch, Thomas says these words, my Lord and my God. All of a sudden, something clicked in him. All of a sudden, he was like, I now understand who you are. And, and, and I will accept what I cannot understand based upon what I can understand. And I don't necessarily know what's going on. And this is crazy. I don't even know how you got in this locked room. We got better locks around here, right? You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand how this happened. But I do believe that you are who you say that you are. Because in that moment for Thomas, what happens is the unexplainable meets the undeniable. That's what happens in our lives. For many of you that have come to faith, it's unexplainable. You're like, I, I just don't, I can't necessarily explain to you like how I, how I have this faith in Christ. All I know is that it's undeniable. All I know is that I've seen the risen Christ. All I know is that he's in, I've encountered him and I would be crazy to, to deny him. He shows up in our life in ways that we can't necessarily explain, but we, we know that we can't deny it's what my youth leader always used to say, that you need to know that you 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 know who Jesus is. Because following Jesus is not some, some exercise of checking your brain at the door before you walk into a church. Following Jesus is not a denial of reality. It's living in a redeemed reality. Because once you encounter Jesus, you may not be able to explain it, but you can't deny it. You, you can't deny it what it is that he's doing. And in one sentence, Thomas is saying, my Lord and my God, I will accept you even though I don't understand it. Even though I don't get it. And it's this revelation that every single one of Jesus' disciples comes to. 
almost every single one of them, apart from Judas, who committed suicide, and John, who was exiled to the island of Patmos, all the other disciples literally come to die a martyr's death because they're unwilling to recant that Jesus Christ is who he says that he is, that he did what he said that he did, that he was the Son of God, the Messiah. Even, 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 even James, if you don't know who James is, James is the younger half-brother of Jesus. Think about how much faith it would take to be convinced that your younger half-brother was the Messiah. How many of you guys have brothers in here? Just raise your hand. You got a brother? Okay. What would it take for you to be convinced that your brother was sinless Messiah? <laughs> would it... Would, you, would it be easy? You just need a good explanation? Would you just need your brother to come to you and be like, well, here's, here, here's how you need to understand. You just need to be explained how your brother is the sinless Messiah. No? I could probably easier convince you that your brother was Satan incarnate, sent to, sent to like literally attack you, than you would be convinced that he was God in flesh. Right? We even find in James... Earlier on in Jesus' ministry, he didn't believe that Jesus, his younger half-brother, was the Son of God. So what was it? Was it that, that Jesus sat down with him and just got, gave a really good explanation? Like, hey, bud, I know we didn't get along necessarily great, and, 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 but like this is, I, I want you to understand this is why I am who I say that I am. No, 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 no. We find out later on, it wasn't an explanation. It was a revelation of who Jesus was. We see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 3, this is what it says. For Paul writes, For what I, what I received I pass on to you as of first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, the risen Christ, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then in verse 7, I love this, then he appeared to James than to all the apostles. Even the younger half-brother of Jesus comes to faith, becomes a pastor and a pillar in the church, and was stoned to death as a martyr. Not because of a great explanation, but because of a revelation of who his brother was. All of a sudden, things change. And making Jesus your Lord and your Savior is not some exercise of denying of reality. It's not checking your brain at the door. It's allowing God and saying, Jesus, this is how I came to faith. It's very simple. When I was in eighth grade, I literally had this prayer. I said, okay, I think you're crazy. But if you're not, and I can have a relationship with you, then I want it. How do I have it? In other words, I got a lot of locked doors and some walls. And I'm inviting you to walk into them. I'm inviting you to be my Lord and my Savior, show yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. And that's what he did. He changed my life from that point on. It's continually changing my life. Why don't you stand with me? Doubting Thomas. That's his name. That's how we know him. That's, he's, he goes down in, in infamy as Doubting Thomas. started looking up this week, I said, um, whatever happened to Doubting Thomas? Like, we don't know much about him after this, right? I mean, we're just like, okay, my Lord, my God, he sticks this, and then, and then, okay, what, then what? 
Guess what historians say about doubting Thomas? It's commonly accepted that between 52 AD and 72 AD, doubting Thomas led an incredible evangelistic crusade in India. In fact, in Kerala, India, where we, we support, have supported for, for a couple decades now through India Gospel Ministries in Kerala, there, there's, a, there's a community of, of Christians that, that date their belief all the way back to the preaching of Thomas in India. And whatever happened to him after that, well, history tells us that it was reported that, that he was martyred, killed for his faith. He was killed by taking a spear to the chest. He saw the risen Jesus, and he goes from hesitant to like wholehearted, gave his whole life to it. Why? Because other people told him about it? Because his mama told him so? No, but because he made it his own and because he owned it. It wasn't about what everyone else said. It wasn't about, well, you should and you could and you, you shouldn't and you, 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 ought to, you ought to be. And It was because Jesus had revealed himself to him and it changed him forever. And he not only lived for, for Christ, he died for him. And so I just want to encourage you. Proverbs 8, 17 says, I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. God reveals himself to those who honestly seek him. And so I want to encourage you to be an honest Thomas. To be a person that doesn't just kind of stick their head in the sand and just act like everything's fine. And I don't want to actually talk about any of the walls or the locked areas or the fears or those areas of my life that I don't actually want to talk about. Why? Because I'm, I'm afraid that I might get judged or I'm afraid that if I admit it to myself, then it's like, it's like kryptonite to my faith. Like I just don't know where to go with this. I want to encourage you to bring your doubts to him. Bring your whole heart to him. And that he's not scared of it. God isn't up in heaven wringing his hands thinking, oh no, do I exist? I don't know. What if they prove that I don't? He isn't scared of your doubts. In fact, he meets us in the midst of them. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to do everything that we want him to do, but it means that he is always good. Always good. So if that's where your heart is today, where you're like in the, maybe in the same place where I was, where it's like, God, I don't necessarily know. I've got a lot of questions. I've got things that, that are left unanswered and, and I don't necessarily understand everything. But God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to me like Pastor Jeff was praying after worship today. Let me pray with you. Lord God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to those who are earnestly seeking after you. God, I pray that you would meet people in the midst of their doubt that we don't have to be afraid of it or hide it or disguise it. God, I, I pray that you would take those wounds that we're nursing, that we're hiding, that we're bandaging, that we're favoring, that, Lord, we would expose it to you so that you could bring healing to show that there is life on the other side of our shame. There is life on the other side of our, of, of our, of our pain. There is life on the other side of our abuse. There is life on the other side of it. God, I pray that you would take our wounds today and make them into scars that would shine bright of the glory of the healing power of Jesus in our life. That we wouldn't hide them anymore. So God, I pray that for those of us who are, who are just coming to, to seek after you, I pray that you would make yourself plain to them. God, that you would show up in the midst of their doubt. God, that, you would, that they would find you faithful even in the midst of, of the, this uncertainty that may be swirling around them. 
show yourself to them. Let they be like, like honest Thomas today. Have your way, have your way, have your way. We're going to end with a worship song. As we, as we lift God's name up, I just want to encourage you, if you came here today and you've got a, a prayer need in any area of your life, physical, relational, whatever that is, we, we want you to have an opportunity before you leave to, to be ministered to. So if you've got a prayer need in any area of your life, I'd love you to just come up as we start singing up here along the front. We'll have some prayer, uh, our prayer team come alongside and pray God into your situation. Don't leave this place without an opportunity to be ministered to. So as we lift up, God's name in this place. If you're in a place where you're like, you know what, I want to make this next step. I'm going to choose to to encounter the living Christ for myself. This would be a great opportunity for you to come forward. So as we lift him up, God, I pray that you would draw people to yourself today. God, I pray that you would make yourself real, that you would make yourself mighty on our behalf. God, that you would show up even when we don't expect it. God, that you would come in through our locked doors because we don't know how to unlock our fears. God, I pray that you would literally knock down those walls that we try to hold back, thinking that bondage is actually safety. We trust you, God. We trust you. We trust you to come through locked doors in our life. Have your way in us as we worship you today. In Jesus' name, let's worship together.